own pleasures rather than chasing after you. We often store up treasures on earth for ourselves rather than treasures in heaven. We are guilty, Lord, of idolatry. We worship the good gifts you give to us, like money, instead of worshipping you, the good giver. Please forgive us. Please forgive us. Thank you that you are so merciful and kind and patient to sinners like us. Thank you that you have been so rich towards us in so many material ways. You've given us homes and comforts and jobs. But thank you, Father, that you have been rich toward us ultimately in your Son. Thank you, Jesus, that your expensive blood was shed for us. Thank you, Father, that you were not stingy towards us. You paid the ultimate price to exonerate us, to forgive us justly, and to make us your kids. Thank you. Please continue to change us and mold us and shape us by your Holy Spirit. Continue to convict us of our sin. Lead us to repentance and changed lives. May we be merciful and generous towards others as you have been so merciful and generous towards us. Lord, please continue to show us your generosity and mercy in our day-to-day needs. We pray especially for Dirk and Charlie. Please continue to bring miraculous healing to them, as you already have done. And may we respond with thankful and thankfulness and gratitude for all the goodness that you show to us. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. This morning we're continuing our reading in James chapter 4. If you got one of the church Bibles on your way in, it's on page 979. Um, We'll be reading from verse 13 to chapter 5, verse 6, and it's also going to come up on the screen behind me. So starting James chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. 
you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to be with you again this Sunday morning. I should congratulate you getting out of bed first on a miserable, drizzly, rainy Sunday morning. It's very easy to say in bed in weather like this. But thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for wrestling with these things that James is throwing at us as a church family because they are quite confronting. Uh, but we're going, lots of things going on at church at the moment. Yesterday we had a, um, a working bee. Thanks to everybody who helped out. The place looks heaps better. Sorry, I'm just going to... Some of the technical issues with the screen, sorry, is partly my fault with this thing. Sorry about that. Um, so I'm trying to do a test run while I'm talking to you, and that's not working. Uh, but thanks to everybody who helped out with the working bee. The place looks awesome. Next week, as we continue our series in James, we've also uh, got an adult baptism next week. Uh, we're also getting an update on the Gibbons family with uh, Charlie, where she's going, and there might be um, some special things happening with that as well. Um, but also, the week after that-ish, uh, we're going to be doing something for Bindi, for kids' ministry worker, before she leaves. So there's lots of things happening each and every Sunday. So if you can be here, even uh, with Easter, inviting your friends, that would be awesome because there's lots of things going on, lots of opportunities to celebrate things as a church family and to also invite our friends and neighbours to join us in that. I'm going to pray now as we continue our series in James. Let's pray. Dear Father, thanks for your enormous love that you pour out to us. Thanks as we uh, reflect on some of the songs we've been singing this morning, that uh, you are an awesome God. Your love just abounds and abounds as it's poured out on us. Lord, as we sit here this morning, let us just stop from our busy lives and just uh, centre our lives on you again. Because often we do get busy, we do get caught up in the world, and we do get distracted. But Lord, draw us near to you this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got nothing with this, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> Up to you guys. Um, a mate of mine who's a pastor of a church, we often talk, and I said to him, oh, what are you preaching through at the moment? And he says, I've put together a series called Uncomfortable. I said, really? You're preaching on a series called Uncomfortable? We like preaching on comfortable things. You're going to preach on uncomfortable things? He says, yeah, you know, the gospel, if we get it, is uncomfortable. Now, let's face it. Church is uncomfortable. Even the people in the churches are uncomfortable. And I said, really, you're going to preach on He says, yeah. I said, you know the people in your church will be listening to you saying that they're an uncomfortable lot. He says, yeah, I know, but we need to talk about it. So we like talking about comfortable things. It's much easier, makes us feel warm and fuzzy. So instead of preaching a series called Uncomfortable, we decided to do a preaching series on James, which if you've been here, it's far from comfortable. It's actually made me feel really uncomfortable. Some of the things that he touches on, it's like he's reaching into your heart and just squeezing and turning and twisting. It's like, what are you going to hit me with next? If you hear last week uh, and through our growth groups, there was a big question about uh, James talking about uh, selfish ambition. He says, it's not bad to have ambition, but selfish ambition is wrong. And it's kind of created a lot of discussion in some of the growth groups about we want to have a good sort of ambition, it's good to be ambitious, but we don't want to cross the line into selfish ambition. But where's the line? 
Where does it become my ambition and where does it become selfish ambition or, or a godly ambition and a selfish ambition? Where's the line in the sand? So I don't want to cross over it. I want to stay on the good side. I want to be godly. But, but where is this line? Where does it turn into selfish ambition? Now, for this, to ask these questions and what's going on, uh, James goes on into this week. I think if you've got those sort of questions, uh, James is going to show us what does it look like to live a godly life as opposed to kind of having God on the side. In fact, even asking the question, where's the line in the sand? How close can I get to that line without doing the wrong thing? Is kind of a, a wrong way to look at it. But in fact, James is going to show us a whole new way of thinking about it, a whole new way of thinking about God that will change us to not ask those questions, where's the line in the sand? But oh, it's obvious what is selfish ambition, what is my dreams, my wants, and what is God? What does God want for me? And how is he raising me, leading me? And what does that look like in my life? That's what James is going to go on to flesh out in this. He's going to do it in two halves, uh, talking about our time and priorities and our money is coming up. But first of all, he asks a question, or talks to the person with the attitude, it's my life and my time, uh, from verse 18. And he puts this scenario. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow... We go to, this, go to this or that city, spend a year there, and carry on business and make money. As describing a person, yeah, it's got ambition, wants to go, start up his own businesses, make some money. Is that wrong? Because James seems to be laying the boot into this guy just starting straight off. Now, I've got a friend who uh, is a bit of an entrepreneur. Uh, he, a few years back, heard that uh, a mining company was moving into central Queensland into a little town, a tiny town, and that was going to dump a whole lot of workers, the fly-in-fly-out workers. And he thought to himself, man, I'm going to move into that town. Uh, he leased a, a motel to accommodate a lot of these workers. Made a mozza. He did that. Made lots of money. But in the process, uh, he had trouble running the motel because he had trouble finding enough cleaners to come and clean the motel every day and night. Uh, so he searched the town. Who wants to come and work with me for cleaners? And the mining company said, look, we've got the same problem with their on-site accommodation, those tin doggers, dongers that they have. He says, we haven't got cleaners for them either. So he goes, okay, I'll do it. He started up his own cleaning business and it exploded. He's doing motels, he's doing um, for the mining company and even private houses as well. He's got this massive cleaning company in this town now. Gave up the motel, he's making more money out of that. Now, it's an exciting story. Here's this guy, Aussie Battler, goes out to the bush, works hard, good business plan, makes a lot of money. It's a good story, you know. I'm pretty proud to tell people that story because I don't think anybody's going to say, Ross, what a terrible man that is. It's like, good on him. Good on him for giving it a go. Good on him for being successful. Good on him for making money. It's a good story. The Aussie battler makes it. Is this what James is having a go at? Somebody with a bit of drive, a bit of business now, wants to make money? Well, no. He's not saying anything just yet. We'll fill that out a little bit about... It's wrong to have a business, wrong to travel, and it's wrong to make money. He's not saying that. But it is wrong. In fact, it's very arrogant, he says, if you think you're doing it without God. See, if you're doing it on your own, keeping God at arm's length, he says, you are really arrogant to think that your plans are going to work out. In contrast to where, how does God fit in your life? He goes on in verse 14. He says, why do you not even know what will happen? Uh, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? 
You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Says so you're not in control. You know, if you look over the history of time, you know, we come in like a mist. Uh, we come in, we don't even set our own time when we come into the world, and yet we're blown away like the mist, whether it's early in the morning or late in the day. So we've got no control over that. God controls those things. We don't do it. See, God is eternal. He's before time and he'll keep going till after time. He's our yesterday, today and tomorrow. He's the creator of all things. He sustains all things. He makes all things happen. And how arrogant of us being this mist that comes into the world for such a short time to make great plans, to make all this uh, difference that, that I'm going to, to live all about me and be successful without acknowledging God and he's in control. So shouldn't you say, realise who's in control? God is in control. It goes on in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. In fact, he says in verse 17, anyone then who knows the good things he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. See, there is a problem. There's, there's, he's painting two groups of people. There's this person who is God-centred, like God is at the centre of their life. It's almost like God is them. It's like my, God, my life is totally controlled around God. So God's at the centre of their lives. And they acknowledge God. Whatever God gives me tomorrow is a blessing. Whatever business plans I might have, I need to include him because he's going to uh, be in control of those things. I don't even know if I'm around tomorrow. But he's going to know that. He's going to open those doors. He's going to make it a success or not. Include God. But there's this other person who makes their business plans or plans in life uh, to get their wants and their needs to be successful, but they like to keep God at arm's length. They like to keep him just that... I like having God around, but he's not going to tell me what to do. I'm just going to keep him as a part of my life, not at the centre of my life. We could explain it like this. Uh, we've got two characters. When God is... Look at that. These guys are amazing up the back. When God is my life, when God's at the centre of my life, and the other side, when God is just a part of my life. I like having him around, but I'm not going to give him total control. I'm going to keep him away. So when God is my life, uh, it, we can ask these questions. I belong to God, and... Uh, we can see that, Romans uh, 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 6. It actually says we belong to Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're a part of his kingdom, part of his family, and we belong to God, it says. So if God's at the centre of my life, uh, he's made me to be in relationship with him, he's a creator God, I belong to him. All I have is God's. Now, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it talks about us as our body. When we follow Jesus, when we trust in him, we're transformed. So we're a part of his family. Our body is no longer our own, but it's a holy temple, it's called. Which means God lives in us. It's no longer our body, but we belong to God. And all we have belongs to God. Everything I have is a gift. It's not from me. It's not mine. It's a gift. So you go to something like Psalm 139, goes to, there's a number of verses, talks about even when we were in the womb, God put us there, he shaped us and made us right through to birth, he knew us, he knows us in that time. It's a gift of life that he's given to us, Not, we didn't just randomly be born, but even at conception, God was putting us into this world, building us up 
bring us into the world, giving us our first breath and giving us life. So we take that for granted, don't we? That God gives us everything. I'm not sure if you've tried to do this exercise where you're trying to be thankful to God for everything he gives us. And, you know, even sitting here now, we can do it. We can just, as you're sitting, yeah, just take a deep breath. If you're trying to thank God, thank God for the air you've given me. Thank you, God, for the lungs that I can breathe and suck it in. Thank you for the way my body works. It pumps blood into my brain and helps me to think, my mouth to talk, all the things that I'm doing here right now. God's doing all that. Every breath, he's going to do it again. For the rest of the day, he's a gift that he's sustaining you, building up. Tomorrow is another gift. Thank God for tomorrow. Thank God for the, the sunshine, the rain that makes things grow, for the night and the moon. Thank God for all those. God gives us all. We didn't deserve anything. We didn't deserve to be born. We didn't deserve tomorrow. We didn't deserve the sunshine or rain. God gives us everything. It's a gift. Thank you, God, is our response when he, we know he's at the centre. So if I belong to God, all I have is God's, and everything is a gift from God, that means I'm a steward of God. See, if God chooses to give me tomorrow, it's like, well, how am I going to spend tomorrow that glorifies God? It's not my day to do whatever I want. It's God's day. How am I going to glorify God with that gift? Now, if God uh, blesses us with different things in our life, we're stewards. So um, if we, God's blessed us with a husband or a wife, they're not my husband, my wife. It's, it's God's and I'm, I'm steward. I'm meant to look after my wife, provide for her, nurture her. If God gives us children, they're not my children. They're God's children and I'm stewards. God's trusted me with them to raise them and grow them. There's no more realisation of that if you get the opportunity to walk your daughter down the aisle, as I did uh, in January. To know I'm walking my daughter's been in my house, in my family for 21 years, walking her down the aisle, and the term is to give her away to the handsome man, Lockie, uh, which is not a hard thing to give her away to Lockie. But the realisation, she's not mine, passing her off to another man. In fact, she was never mine. Uh, for the 21 years of my life, she's been there, She's never been mine. She's been God's. I'm just a steward of these children. But in fact, God has trusted me with my family or with my staff or with whatever I've got. God's trusted me to be good stewards with these things. And you've got to realise the, the privilege it is, an honour that that is, that God gives, whether it's people in your life or stuff in your life or responsibilities to your life, what a privilege it is that God has given them to you. And the, the responsibility to be a good steward of that. How am I going to use that stuff for God that's so precious to him? See, when I think of this person with God at my life, the centre of my life, uh, something Billy Graham said that was brought up uh, when he died, he said, um, while he was alive, he said, if you hear the story that I have died, it's a lie. I've not died, I've just changed address. It's like, I've gone to another place. In heaven, he's talking about. Now, for him, this life is a gift. He's just stewarding every day that he had, the 99 years that he had, to proclaim Jesus, to live out Jesus. He's glorifying God each and every day. And when that time's gone, he's not going to be taken by death because he knows God's got a bigger and better plan. He's going to take him to eternity with him in heaven. So God's in control. He's not in control. 
God's in control, and I can trust him that he's going to continue to provide for, for him, for us, uh, in eternity. Because he's got God at the centre. This is as opposed to if God's on the side. So if God's just a part of my life, uh, I'm keeping him at arm's length, I like to have him around, but when he's just part of my life, it changes things. Because all of a sudden, we say, I belong to no one. Maybe I belong to myself. I make my own choices. I can do what I want to do. It's all up to me. It's my choice, my life, and the outcome's up to me. Now, I kind of get reminded by this. Often when I do funerals for people outside of church, uh, when they do the final song where they carry the coffin out to the gravesite, um, often this one song appeared. So I Googled. I said, what's the most common funeral song? And I actually started doing... Um, recording these, doing these surveys. What's the most common funeral or song played at funerals since 2002? So in the last 16 of 17 years, there's one particular song that hit number one every time. Number one uh, is Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way. So here at the funeral, I say, you know, there's nothing we can do to earn our way to heaven. We need to trust in Jesus to get to heaven. Uh, they've asked me as a minister of the gospel to, to give a message like that and give a message of hope and assurance. Trust in Jesus, you got heaven. But then as the coffin's taken out to the theme of I did it my way, it's like you're holding God at arm's length. You're holding him to the side. The 16 of the 17 years, one year that it didn't make the top was Monty Python's Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. I don't get that. I don't know why, but apparently that's true. Um, but it's, it's that symptom. I like God. I like having going to church. I like having a proper funeral service with a minister, but I want people to know I did it my way. I belong to no one but myself. All I have is mine. It's my work, my time, my plans. And if it's all mine, I can choose to do whatever I want with it. Now remember, James is not talking about oh, those rotten businessmen out, out in the world that's going to take advantage of you. He's talking to people inside his church. People do say, look, I like being in church. I like being comfortable in church. I like having God around. But James is saying very quickly, no, it's not what you're doing. You're holding God at arm's length. And here's the wake-up call, he's saying. You need to be aware of that. When we have that attitude of holding to the side, it says, I deserve what I've got. So if it's my life, my time, I deserve whatever I want. I can live whatever way I please. And what pleases me matters. And that's the choices I'm going to make. So therefore, I answer to myself. No one's going to tell me what to do. Not God, not James. Not anyone's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to live life my way. For the businessman, I'm going to go to the business. I'm going to go to another country. I'm going to set up all this network of business. I'm going to make lots of money because it's all about me. I don't need to consult God. I don't need to consult my Christian friends. I don't need to consult anybody because it's all about me and my stuff. God's got no right to speak into that. See, does God shape your plans? When you're making plans, this is a part of the process, this is going to give me what I want and what I need and set me up. Or do you plan thinking, what does God want me to do with my life? What does God want, what decisions does he want me to make? How does he want me to spend tomorrow but the future? How does God play in that? 
Are you consulting God like a consultant? That he's on the side. You'll spend a few minutes just asking God, but put him away and weigh up whether that advice is good or not. Or do you say, God is at the centre of my life and I'm going to revolve everything in my life around God. This is the picture. Where's the line in the sand? He says, there's no line in the sand that you cross over. It's actually, is God in your heart? Is God, is God your life? Is the question he's asking. Let's go a bit deeper, he says. Let's talk about money. For people whose attitude, it's my life and my money. It goes on in chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and your silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in these last days. What he's saying is wealth is not the answer. Often we think that wealth is going to fulfill us. Wealth is going to answer all my problems. Wealth is going to give me the easy life. So we chase the wealth. So you go, no, it's not the right answer. As you do that, you're pushing God away. Yeah, I need money for a rainy day. I need money for the future. I need all this stuff. It's got our, our name on the bank account and God can't touch it. He's saying, no, money is not the answer in itself. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to, uh, in that, remember this is first century context that he's writing to, talking to landowners. Some of them grow crops. And I've known farmers, when they have a good harvest, they just want to build silos to store it up more and more because they don't want to lose the harvest. But he's saying, you know, know it's going to rot. Talking to to business people, people that, uh, you know, what are you going to do with your money? I, I... if I'm a successful businessman, I'm going to look like a successful businessman. I've got the suit and the tie, I've got all the nice clothes, the, the nice fancy watch and jewellery. But he says that's going to rot, that's going to deteriorate as well. Or the person, the, the person who's come into a bit of money and he says, I'm going to invest for the future. I need a good retirement plan. I need a plan for a rainy day. It's gold and silver. That's the way to do it. But he says, you know that's going to corrode. You know, it's going to deteriorate. Even that's not a good investment. In fact, what would happen if God asked you at the end of your life, I I don't know if it's going to work like this, I probably don't think it is, but you come, you die, you come to the pearly gates of heaven and you meet God at the front door and God asks you the question, what have you done with your life? What have you done with your life? He says to the farmer, I blessed you. I gave you that good crop. What did you do? How did you bless others through that good crop? And he says, well, I just stored it up in my storehouses and I went there one day and opened the doors and it was all gone. It was rotted. It was putrid. I lost it all. He says to the businessman, oh, what did you do? I blessed you with a good job, with a good income. What did you do with that? He says, well, I had to, I had to look the part. If I'm going to be successful, I had to have the nice suit and stuff. And one day, I just went to my cupboard and opened it up and the moths had gone in. Well, they all had holes in it. And it's all gone. Wasted. Or the other man who come into money and says, well, I blessed you with, with all this money. What did you do? How did you bless others uh, with that money? He says, well, I had retirement coming up. I had uh, to save for a rainy day. Anything could happen. I needed that investment. So gold and silver seemed like a good thing to do. But then one day I got home and I opened up my safe and it was all corroded, it deteriorated. It's like overnight, it's worth nothing. I've lost it all. I've lost it all. 
Reminds me of the story Jesus said when uh, he told this story about um, a king who was going to another country to take over this other bit of land. And he left some of his servants uh, a silver coin. And he trusted his silver servants and expected them to do something with these uh, silver coins as as a sign of their wisdom and streetwise, their nows. So he gave them all a silver coin each. And then when the king came back, he asked them, he asked three of them, how did you go with your money? And the first one says, well, I took your one coin, I made some investments, things seem to go my way. I've got ten coins now, tenfold investment. The king says, good and faithful servant, yeah, good on you. Ask the next one, says, yes, I, I put it to work for me, I put it to business and uh, things seem to go well. I got five silver coins back. You know, that's not a bad way of, of you know, using what you've given me, being good stewards to get a good return. Says, good, good and faithful servant. Says to the third one, how did you go with your silver coin? Says, well, you know, I, was, I was scared and I was worried and I didn't know what to do. So I just wrapped it up in cloth and buried it till you come home. At least that way I didn't lose it. And the king was not impressed. Gave him a big lecture on how that's not being a good steward. How he shouldn't have done that. He should have been more responsible for what he'd given him. And he even called him wicked for doing that. For not being a good steward for what he's got. Now this is what's going on here. Are we doing that to God? God's blessed us with stuff, with money, with a good job, with good investment, with, with whatever. When he asks you the question, how did you bless others? What did you do with that? What did you do in your life? What's our answer? Are we going to say, it's all me? Or are we going to say, God, I'll, I'll try to be a good steward and I see these returns. It's confronting. It's confronting. See, if money has been, become our focus, it's, all, it's become our, our God, that we want to chase those things. Not for God, and not that God's in control, but it's about me, my money, my stuff. And when it becomes a God, it controls us, and we start pushing everybody else out of the road. And this is what it looks like as he goes on in verse 4, where he says, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. See, God promises to bless us in the way that if we go back to um, Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, look, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to turn you into a big nation. I'm going to bless your children, like bless Abraham, his people. And in, uh, as a step from that, I'm going to use your people to bless the other nations to bless the world if you're here today and you're a follower of jesus you're a descendant of abraham the way the bible uses that language you're a descendant of abraham that he blesses us but he blesses us in order that we might bless the world to pass it on that's what god promises the way he'll bless us and use us to bless the world but what does money promise money promises some of the language he uses here Money promises to fatten us up. Money promises to give us the life of luxury. Money promises that we can be self-indulgent, that we want nothing, that we've got it all. If just we had a bit more money, if we had money would answer all our problems, is what uh, the money problems. That even to the extent of what he says, that would push others out of the road so we can have more money. That's what he's saying. Which is your God? Do you trust in God's promises or the promises money 
uh, is trying to tempt us with. Now, I know you're probably here today and you're probably thinking, well, this is all right for rich people, for people with lots of money. But it's not. James is talking to all of us. I mean, just putting aside that we are the second most, most wealthiest country according to the UN, uh, the second most wealthiest country um, in the world. So even when we're poor by our standards, we're not really poor, but even put that aside, it's not just the rich people he's pointing the finger at because all of us, rich or poor, can be hungry for more money. All of us can say, I want, I need, I just need to get that, get out of my road because I want it. I'm pursuing the promises, the promises that money can give me the good, happy, healthy life. We're all guilty of it. So no matter who we are, it's kind of like this, what does it mean then to live life with God at the centre rather than holding God at the, uh, out to the side? What does it look like? Because James is giving us a lot of what not to do, but I think it's helpful too to, draw, to pull in this picture of the two characters he's building. This is a character that you shouldn't be doing, uh, the guy that holds God at arm's length, and this is the picture of the guy who's God-centred and what that looks like. It's helpful to know a bit of background through the Old Testament. They used something that was very visual called the tithe. The tithe is giving 10% back to God. So if God provides everything, um, everything to me, he's asking me, this is the line in the sand, this is sort of the criteria. If you can give 10% back to God, this is what God is asking for in return. You can keep 90%, you can spend it whatever way you want. But how does that work then? When God is part of my life, so I'm holding God out to the side in Old Testament times. Help look, we'll look at Old Testament times and then we'll see what it looks for us. In Old Testament times, if God's just part of my life, I've got the attitude, I belong to no one, all I have is mine, I deserve what I've got. So when it comes around to do your tithe, it, you treat it like a tax. It's, it's God taxing me like the government. And what do we do with our government taxes? We try to pay minimum or none. So if you're a farmer uh, and you have a, have a crop um, in, in those times, you might give him not the first fruits or not the best crop, but maybe the seconds. You know, you get a good price for your, for your good harvest, but the fruit that's marked and it's not going to get you a good price, well, I can give that 10% down at the temple as my tithe. Why would I give God the best? It's my stuff. I'll fulfill the criteria, tick the box, give him second, secondly. For the farmers who uh, bred herds, they would go, instead of giving God the 10%, the first and best, well, I've got the first and best. They're worth a lot of money. But I've got, this, I've got a couple of runts in the herd. One's lame and one's got a disease. If I can take that down the temple, I'm still doing my 10%, uh, fulfilled all righteousness, but I'm giving God uh, the stuff. It's not worth anything. Or the businessman, the businessman, okay, here's your income. Uh, how about you give God 10% straight off the top? Well, actually, I've got a lot of expenses. I've got a uh, living. I've got to you know, fulfill all my dreams. I'll give God the leftovers. Hopefully that's going to be 10%, but not this week. I'll just see what's left over to him. So to have that attitude, holding God at a distance, saying, yeah, it's all my stuff. It all belongs to me. I can choose to do with what I want. I'll just give God the leftovers. And then he's answerable to himself, like the rich man. The rich man came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to get eternal life? Uh, and Jesus said, 
you know, fulfill all the law. And he went through all the law. He says, you know, things like um, love your neighbour as yourself, obey your parents, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie and cheat. Went through all these commandments. And the young man, looking for advice, was happy for Jesus to tell him uh, how to live because it makes him a better person. He says, Lord, I've, I've done all these things. And Jesus says, well, take what you have, go and sell it and give your money to the poor. And his face dropped and he walked away sad because it said he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. I find this really interesting that happy to have God on the side to say this is how you should live, this is how to be a better person, happy to do all those things, but don't you tell me what to do with my money. Even if you are God, don't tell me what to do with my money. That was his attitude. It's this, it belongs to me, it's all mine, it's my stuff. I get to choose to do what I want to do with it. And I answer to myself, I'm not even going to answer to you, God, because it's all mine. See, even going through that, does that make you feel uncomfortable, talking about money uh, like that, talking about the word tithing? Because James is hitting some really uncomfortable stuff. And I've got to tell you, it's even uncomfortable for me being the one up here conveying the message. It's like James is sort of ripped into your heart and he's twisting and turning. It does make us feel uncomfortable to think that we can say God can have a say into my life, how I live, what I say, how I treat people, but don't touch my money. It's close to home, isn't it? The money's ours. I get to choose whatever I want to spend on it. It makes us feel very uncomfortable. But what about the picture of the guy uh, who's got his whole life centred around God, where he says, I belong to God. The only reason I'm here, walking on this earth, is because of God's grace. He gives me another day. All I have is God's, whether it's my body, whether it's my family, whether it's my stuff, whether it's my money. It's, like, it's almost like we're happy to acknowledge the other things, but money, that's a bit precious. We don't want to let that go. But all I have is God's. Uh, Haggai in the Old Testament, God says there, all the silver in the world is mine, all the gold is mine. It's all God's. But in saying that, he generously gives it out. Everything I have is a gift. Whether it's the rain from the crops, whether it's fertility for my farm animals to grow, whether it's my business being successful, getting an income and a wage. And what does God do? God gives us 100%. doesn't matter whether you've got a big pay packet or a small pay packet. God gives us 100%. And he says, what I'm asking you to do is you to uh, give 10% back. We want to know, right? What, what is God's expectation of us to, to you know, what, what, how to be good stewards? And he says, give me 10% back. You get 90%. You can steward 90% of that money Bless others with it however you want. Do what you need to do with that. 90% is yours. 10% is what God is asking back at the temple. Uh, so that's what they did. Everything's a gift from God. Happy to give 10%. I'm a steward of God, so I'm happy to give 10% back. And he's only asking 10%. Most franchises ask for 30 40 50% commission. God's saying, look, I'm giving you everything. I want 10%. Just give me 10% back. You get 90%. And even in temple times, what they used to do is give back the 10%. And now their, their attitude was, I've got, I'm responsible for 90%. What am I going to do with that to bless others? So often they gave more money away and did more things with it to bless others. It's not 10% and I've done my duty. The rest is mine. But see, see the difference? It's not about how much money you give. 
You know, this is not another money talk from a church, a church wanting more money out of me. It's not like that at all. It's actually, it's a God thing. It's a God thing. It's to do with your heart. And the way you use your money is a reflection of that. So it's a heart thing, a God thing, but works out in a heart thing. Now, we don't live in Old Testament times. We don't use the word tithe around here in this church because when we move into the New Testament, when Jesus came, uh, it talks a lot about generosity. So tithe was kind of something you had to do sort of legalistically. So no, no, we've done with that. Uh, but being generous is something that God does to us and we're encouraged to do to others. But then what is generous? What does that look like? How much do I have to give? Is 10% being generous? Is more than 10% generous? What does God expect from me? What does it look like for me where I'm at in life? What does it mean? Well, we need to see the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament, you had the temple. That's where you come to meet with God, to draw near to God. You had to make sacrifices. So you brought along your sacrifice to make atonement for your sins. So you to have that relationship with God. And you brought your tithe, your tithe to show I'm giving back to God as what, what he asked for. You had to do all that stuff to stay in a relationship with God, to show that he was at the centre of your life. Now, New Testament comes, so Jesus comes and fulfills all those things. So Jesus is the new temple. He comes and says, you can know God, you can have fellowship with God, you can be intimate with God through him because the temple's gone, it's all through Jesus. The sacrifice, we don't have to bring sacrifices up week by week anymore. Can you imagine an altar up here that we'd be killing animals every week? The blood and the howling and the smells. We don't do that anymore because Jesus was our sacrifice. He was the one who fulfilled the perfect sacrifice. He laid down his life. So we don't have to bring animals in anymore to sacrifice for our sins. He did it all. And for the tithing, he says, no, the legalism that it turned into, the 10% tithe, People thought they had to do it just out of obligation. In a sense, they turned it into buying their way back to God. Jesus says, I've fulfilled the law. I've done all that. I've fulfilled your duty. God's given you everything. You don't have to give God anything as far as that sort of stuff is concerned. But now what does that mean? We're still in New Testament times. No, we don't have to go to the temple. We don't have to bring animals and we don't have to do tithe is what, what the New Testament is saying. But we need to reflect God's generosity. How do we do that? How do we be generous? It was explained to me like this. Uh, A guy, a a family, mum and dad, had a child. They needed a babysitter. They got in a lovely lady uh, and they paid her $10 an hour. She would look after their child, uh, do stuff around the house. It was great help for them. As a $10 an hour, they thought, that's great. It frees us up to do other things. Uh, But then they had a second child. And so number two child come along, they ask their babysitter, would you mind babysitting for two children? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. They say, well, now it's two children and anybody who's got two children or more children, the more children there are, the more you appreciate getting away and leaving them with the babysitter. Uh, They said, well, how much is it per hour for for your babysitting for two children? And her reply was, "Uh, pay me what you think. Pay me what you think. Now that leaves them in a dilemma, doesn't it? One child was $10 an hour and they're happy with that. You're not going to pay less than $10 an hour because that would be not appreciating what she did. We do appreciate it because now we've got two kids and we love getting away, so we do appreciate it more. The question becomes, well, how much can we pay her? How much can we afford to give her? 
That's our attitude to God. It's like God's not asking you to tithe anymore. He's not saying 10%, 10%, 10% out of each of us. But he's saying, give what you think. But keep in mind, you don't have to go to the temple anymore. You don't have to make sacrifice anymore. You don't have to tithe anymore. God's given us so much more than the Old Testament people. So much more than what their 10% was acknowledging. But it's up to you. It's up to you, he's saying. What is generous for you? Are we going to be chasing the dream? It's all about me and my stuff and God can stay at a distance. Or is it about me being God-centred and living a life that glorifies him, that lives for him with our time, with our priorities and even with our money? Are we give, handing it over to him? I want to give you a few uh, things to consider. Here's a few challenges, take-home points from today. Uh, the first one is, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, so you're here, you've rocked up to church just to check it out, to find out more about Jesus, we're so thankful that you are here, glad that you're here. And I'm really sad that you've come to a talk on money. Uh, I really am. But it's not on money. It is about your heart. So when you go home, I don't want you to think about, well, how much can I give uh, to the church if you're not owning Jesus' Lord? See, Jesus needs to be centre of your heart and your life. You'd actually be better going home and going, what I've seen today are these Christians, they actually take this really seriously. That Jesus is not just an accessory to their lives, he's not just a consultant, but he actually is their life and their lives revolve around God and knowing him through Jesus and what that means for you. But if we are here today... And we are believers, we say Christians. How much are we appreciating what God has done for us? His generosity to us. And how to change that into tangible steps. So maybe sometime today, grab some time, whether it's with yourself, whether it's with your spouse or whoever you're doing life with, and just go, okay, let's work this out. If God has given me all this stuff, I am richly blessed. That's the first step, to acknowledge that God needs to be at the centre of my life because he loves me, he blesses me with whatever I've got. Big pay packet, small pay packet. I'm blessed. What percentage am I giving to God as an acknowledgement of that? Do the sums. What percentage am I doing with that? And is that a fair and reasonable reflection of you know, your response to God, giving back to him? Now, I don't want to see people go from nothing and sort of you know trying to break even to to 10 percent and that's a big jump for people but if, even if you say look i'm giving three or four percent why don't you think about if i give things are a stretch if i can give 10 percent we should give 10 percent i think that's a starting point to be generous from what the what the bible talks about but i'm not sure if i can afford it in fact i'm going to be in a lot of trouble if i do that uh, and i'm worried about it we don't want you to be worried about it but increase it by 1%. What does another 1% add? And make a commitment, write it down on a bit of paper, and then revisit it again in a few months. Say, look, I increased it from 4% to 5%, it equaled this much. In a few months' time, I'm going, actually, that didn't hurt me that much. I can actually try increasing another 1%. Just, just build it up. Build it up in usable ways. And it, it builds our trust in God that he will provide and he does provide. And he doesn't abandon us or leave us. But do that in a way of holding in one hand, God's been so gracious to me, so generous to me. How much can I be generous to God? But doing it in a sensible way. Even Corinthians talked about uh, planning your giving. Don't just do it impulsively. 
Don't just uh, spur the moment. I'm going to throw all my money in it. Don't think about it. Plan it. But be consistent in it as well. Now, a lot of people do electronic giving just to keep accountability. That's what I do. So if I rock up to church and go, oh, I've got 10 bucks in my wallet. That's all I've got. I go, no, I've planned it. It's all organised. It happens during the week. Sometimes that's helpful for people. But it's doing things that doesn't leave God the leftovers or you forget about him because he hasn't forgotten about you. We're going to do something now. You might have realised, if you're a regular, um, we didn't have the collection at the start of the service. We just thought today we might have the collection after the talk, not for the reason of impulsive spur-of-the-moment giving that I just talked about. Uh, we've just had a big talk on money. Surely our giving will be doubled. And we're not doing that. But when we pass a bucket round, we say this every week, that it's a way of whether you do electronic giving, not giving, or giving cash, as the bucket passes, we want you to think about how am I acknowledging God with my money? That's why we pass the bucket around everybody, even though uh, only a percentage of people do, do cash. Because the process of passing the bucket means... What am I giving back to God? Am I being generous back to him? So we're going to do that today uh, during the last song. Uh, we're going to do that. But also, I want us to think about it with the heart of... Um, we did Lord's Supper last week. If you were here, uh, it's where we heard the great message of Jesus. We heard that he is Lord. and If, if he is our Lord, to come up the front, to grab our bread and the juice. We say we celebrate the Lord's Supper because we're celebrating forgiveness. We're celebrating the fact that he's accepted us as we are. We're celebrating new life that he gives through his death and resurrection on the cross. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. But when it comes to taking the collection, we never say we're going to celebrate taking the collection. But today... I want to encourage you to say, hey, you know what? I am privileged and honoured to have the opportunity to give back to God. Now, it's a mind change. It's not, something, it's not a duty. It's something I have to do. But something God's in my heart, and if I centre my life around him, I want to be generous to him. Now, today, uh, as I said, if you do electronic banking or, or cash, it doesn't matter. But with the attitude, with a joyful heart, I am privileged to be including God's family. He's been so good to me. And I thank God for the opportunity that I can express that in giving back to him. We're going to do that during our last song. If you're new or visiting here, please feel free. We don't want your money uh, if you're not sure about Jesus. We want you to know Jesus. But if you're a regular here, it's an opportunity for us to, to give. I'm going to pray now uh, and as we move into our last song. Dear Father, we do thank you for your great love for us. That as we reflect on those amazing truths that you are a, a great and generous God and we acknowledge that we take you for granted. Whether it's every breath we take, every day we live, the people you've brought into our lives, the stuff we have, it's all a blessing from you. Lord, give us hearts that see that because I know it's hard to let go of our grip on money because it's mine, it's my stuff. And I hold it like an idol. Lord, help us to let it go and draw you closer. That our whole life revolves around you. And you're not just an accessory. Lord, if we're wrestling with that, if we're wrestling with our finances even today, Lord, I want to give more. I want to be more generous. But I'm having trouble making ends meet. Lord, please take that burden from us. Hear us. Open up doors that, that if it's the right thing to do, we are in a position to be more generous. But Lord, let us be generous with what we've got to show you, Lord, that we do appreciate all you've given us. And Lord, that you would be working in our hearts, each and every one of us, for your glory and your kingdom.
Amen. What a challenging question this morning. What have we done with our lives? Um, and as Christians, we know that our